Warning, the following podcast may contain topics or issues that are sensitive and may be upsetting to some people. If anyone is disturbed or distressed by the topics covered, feel free to end the podcast at any time. Please note, peer educators are not therapists. These podcasts are not to be considered to be professional opinion. Hello and welcome back to PeerCast. I'm your host Eli and uh, this is part two of the uh, previous episode of, uh, well, part two of the same episode from last week, Positive Psychology and Philosophical Fulfillment. Um, We end up closing things out in this episode and we kind of describe what is fulfillment for us. Again, I'm joined by my guests, uh, Ramsey, Krishna, and Yusuf. So let's get right into the episode. All right. Uh, hi, this is part two. This is a super strange way to do part two, but we're just going to jump into it. So based on what you just said, um, does anyone have anything to comment on that? Okay. So in 2010, there was a Princeton study in which uh-huh. um, they examined, uh, you know, the correlation between like your yearly, like your income and then to your emotional well-being. So what they found is that while though there was a, um, a correlation between like your increasing income and wait wait how you evaluate your life you're back that up back there was a correlation between income and so like income like your higher income you evaluate Uh life is better like yeah i have nice things this is you know it's it's better but then they found that at seventy five thousand dollars a year it started to level off for emotional well-being okay so oh circumstances apply to a degree of like, so let's say if you're making $45,000 a year, and if you go from making 45,000 to like 55 or like 65, it will make a difference in okay. your happiness because- but that, Okay, but that's gonna make a difference in the individual, in the individual's no, 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 no. because- Wait, wait, wait. Okay, well, there's more to it. Think, most people think that they would be tremendously more fulfilled, let's uh, say- That's the angle that that's going for, is that- If, if you were, if, like you were rich, not necessarily, that's not true. If you have your basic necessities in life and you have like, like, you know, a sense of financial freedom, so you don't have like immense amount of stress. From you like have financial security, that comfort. So it's really interesting. The, the part that's fascinating is that yes, it applies, but only to a certain extent. Like once you meet, you know, a certain level, then it, it doesn't change your emotional well, well-being. Where was, where was the study, where was the study done? Princeton. I don't know so where this is the, the Western states. Study. The states, like the participants. Who were they? Oh, the uh, the states. participants. The people they were studying. Oh, I'm pretty sure it was randomly studying, collected. These were like um, adults. Where you know, here, the United where? States, Britain, United States, Princeton, United, States. United States. Okay. Okay, so this is based off a of Western century. Hold on, hold on, hold on. The reason I say that, the reason I ask, because in the state, because I saw this documentary and I can't, for the love of me, remember what it was, but I remember the very initial portion of the documentary and Ramsey keep that in your head keep the keep the note you're about to say yeah um but I'm gonna bring this up because this is why I've been talking about the dumpster um metaphor um example metaphor analogy analogy um the the dumpster analogy because in the documentary which I hate that I can't remember what the name was it talks about well it talks about happiness but they're really talking about fulfillment um and it shows a father and I don't remember if he had a wife but I remember that he has three kids and they live in a shack 
made out of like plastic tarp. I think you're wood. talking about the documentary called like Happy or Happiness. I think I've watched it before. Maybe, but um, the guy is fine. He doesn't have a worry in the world. The, he they live stacked up next to each other in this in like a tent essentially in a really rundown tent, and he's happy. He's content. He's fulfilled. He fishes every morning. He gets his food for his kids, and he's done. So he really doesn't. There's there's he doesn't have that income right that's, he doesn't have that and that's, that's why thing. and that's why i asked where that study took place because i saw that and i'm like there's no way i could ever live in a tent and be happy about that but he is somehow living fulfilled in a tent that's that's the thing our society our culture the institutions above us they teach us these sorts of things they guide us in that sort of way into consumerism into that sort of materialism where oh i need that financial gain in order to find joy in life in order to live comfortably when in actuality, that's not the case throughout the globe. You feel me? In the mm -hmm. U.S., sure, yeah, that consumerism is a big part. That's why I asked uh, where that study took place because uh, I was curious. Uh, no, that was, an, that was a really great point, honestly, because there are cultural differences that can influence studies like that. And yeah, I don't remember where the documentary started. I want to say it was India. I don't know, but um, that's just off the top of my head. But yeah, but like for example, like Camus, Camus writes that um, about the difference between the individual from because he was a French Algerian when Algeria was under colonial rule uh, by the French. And he compares like individuals who were born, like French individuals born in Algeria to those in Paris, uh, especially in his uh, essay, uh, what was it called? The Minotaur, or I think it's Escape to Iran. Um, he writes like how like with, within Algeria, individuals they're indifferent to that sort of material financials they just want to like you know live under the sun they want to uh, enjoy nature french individual during that time in paris they were more about the wealth their society on um, how their status in society uh you know the clothes they were wearing and whatnot if they can go into the boutiques and the cafes you know? and he also makes other examples and other essays for example when he uh he went to Prague, and then I think at, and when he went to Florence, how he compared like the Mediterraneans or the people who lived closer to the Mediterraneans compared to Northern Europeans and their perspectives of that materialism versus just like, as I've been saying, like living under the sun, just appreciating nature and these sorts of things. So I think that idea that, oh, joy comes from like, you know, that material gain, the financials, that that can't really answer uh, the question, like you know, of regarding fulfillment. Going back to culture, I think, you know, we live in a world, and we we know our world and we examine our world through contrast. You know, the stars in the night sky can only be as bright as black as you know the universe, right? So let's let's go back to that example of like you know, there's this man in the slums, but he's happy, he's content. You know, he hasn't seen anything more beyond that. He doesn't have right. that comparison. So that's mm -hmm. why for you, like, you've lived a, com a comfortable life um, here oh, in this country. So for you to go from at this place to then going to the slum, it would be a very challenging shift for you, so you because there is a deep contrast. But for him, you know, he doesn't have much to compare it to so because he hasn't anything else so i think that ties in with the culture of like we are in a consumer culture and we, we see lives that are so grand and we see lives that are in the slums um, but what about what about the individual who lives let's say in america and yeah. who has seen that grandiose lifestyle you know the consumerism and whatnot and rejects it 
and choose rather to live a more simplistic lifestyle without any of the superficialities uh, associated to consumer lifestyle. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, what, about, what about them? They're yeah, like that's their fulfillment. They, they exist. What, what it, you know, we can't we can't deny like that being, people are. Like happy. I don't think minimalist. anyone was saying that. I don't. Yeah, I don't think anyone was saying that they don't exist. Yeah, but you know, what about them? Then they're just fulfilled in in another avenue. They found they're they're finding their fulfillment essentially. But they made that choice. I they think that's that the choice. difference is that they made the choice to live a more minimal lifestyle. And when you have people who are like on an income of like $35,000 a year and they got three kids to feed, like they can't feed their kids properly and they feel the stress choose. of I have to educate them. They need, I want them to go through college. Then like, yeah, money will make a difference. Not for glamour. It's, inter- it's interesting to me that you said that the guy wouldn't be exposed, right? So if he was exposed to something else, I mean, maybe he, I don't, uh, I mean, I guess we would have to watch that documentary, but I think it's interesting uh, because we're, because ex- we're exposed to like Star Island, right? But yeah. so for you, Krishna, you're, you're kind of saying that it has to do kind of what you've seen, right? I think it doesn't, it doesn't that then lead to what It's not necessarily want. pure exposure, but it's what more you, what, of no, the... but, it, but it leads into what you want, right? Yeah, yeah. It's because I, of could your... see, I could see Star Island, but not want it, which is, I think, is what Ramsey was saying. But it's and... not just like mere exposure that kind of gives them the sense of what they would want. It's kind of the, the average standard of living that they would seem to be like the baseline standard of living that they would expect. That's the standard that she's talking about. Mm-hmm. Because here in the States, the reason why we're so adjusted to the standard of comfort that we now enjoy is because that's the standard. Of course, we can see Star Island and not want Star Island. Maybe we could strive towards Star Island. But life as we know it seems comfortable enough. And thus, this is the standard that we're used to. However, when it comes to less developed countries such as India, Egypt, or other Middle Eastern countries, the standard that they observe in commonality is much lower than ours. And so, of course, they'd be much more content with what they're living with if the standard isn't, if like, the bar isn't that stacked stacked that high against it. You see what I mean? I see. Like I can give an example because like a third of Egypt lives underneath the poverty line. And so poverty, lack of comfort and really difficult circumstances has become a way of life there. And so that's why you can find many people living in slums. Definitely they're not the most content with what they have, but they can find and achieve satisfaction and content. It is a matter of perspective and it is a matter of cultural difference, which is why it makes such an impact. And I think this also can tie into the play of genetics because there are people in slums who are miserable and they're not happy. So, you know, you could have two people and they're put in the same circumstances. They might have the same challenges, but then you also have to, you know, acknowledge there's a genetic factor that plays into it as well. Well, well, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't argue for the genetic factor with regards to that because you wouldn't wait. What if your you brain can only produce in so much, you wouldn't argue f- against for that. It? Yeah, I don't. You wouldn't I don't argue for that. You, that. you don't. don't you don't, don't agree with proven with a proven. Uh, well, no, because at least with that example, because there, I I would first question both of those individuals' experiences within the slums. Did they have the same experience? Did one su- suffer some sort of abuse while I mean, in the slums? You see that in twin studies, though. I mean, okay, that kind of goes back to like psychology and the diathesis stress model. So like if somebody has a genetic predisposition, they'd be much more susceptible or so much vulnerable to developing unhappiness, mental disorders, or be much more vulnerable to high amounts of stress. So some people don't exactly have a genetic predisposition and they might fare just well without even high amount of stress. 
However, others who have, for instance, a history of mental illness in their families, they won't exactly react to it the way you'd want them to. Which is why I I would say that although genetics is a limited factor and environmental factors do come in, and of course, cognitive factors as well. You can't ignore the the genetic though, because I mean, we're getting a little bit off topic, but there is such a thing as like the switch, right? So then I guess just as, because it's the example that's coming to my head, um, schizophrenia, right? So that's, I know it's completely off topic, but if your family has it, and I think it tends to skip a generation if I'm not wrong, but there's such thing as a switch, right? So you can have, you can have the genetic predisposition uh, predisposition for it. um, And then suddenly you get a phone call that scares you. And then that switch. <laughs> no, an environmental. Yeah, an envi- yeah. Come on, guys. It was a joke. The information uh-huh. in your genes. Anyway, exactly. Uh, it can trigger the onset of it. Let me go pick up that phone. Or <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so what I was saying was, um, you, wait, can have, I have, okay. you can I have an event that happens that switches that switch uh, on, and there you go. Now you have the. Yeah, that's the concept right there. Absolutely. So I wanted to offer, I think, okay, I want to offer something about that, you know, the analogy we're talking before about the man in the slums. Um, I think here within Western culture, yes, do we have far more than what we realize? Absolutely. But to offer uh, a rebuttal to that, I think, you know, we oftentimes like will make people feel bad about their own concerns of their life to be like, you know, look to those other people on the other side of the world. They're suffering far more, but they're doing mm-hmm. fine. Like, why are you not happy? You have so uh, much more. Ah, uh, yes. Um, I so I don't want, I don't want us to fall into that trap. Mm-mm, no, absolutely yeah, not. I, I agree with you. We should not be doing that. <clears throat> That's a I really think, great point because we tend to pin happiness to circumstances oh, yeah, at that point. I think the the issues right so i think the so either whatever you're dealing with even if it's small in comparison to someone else right so that's relative and subjective you get me like yeah so i think the issue that someone might be dealing with if it's big to them it's big to them and it is what it is you feel you see what i'm saying okay granted i may not um have to worry about where my food is going to come from tomorrow, right? But I still might have self-doubt, so insecurities. I still have issues that I'm dealing with. And that doesn't make them any way invalid just because my cousin yeah. in Cuba is is fighting to get like a like a boiled egg. You know, you get me? Because he yeah. can't afford, he doesn't have, he can't afford a boiled egg. And I'm here just, I had a, like, a, like a good breakfast with cereal, Captain Crunch right now. You get me? Just because... Mm-hmm. Those are the circumstances doesn't make my issues any less smaller, right? Because it doesn't make them any less important. Yep. Because exactly. if the issues are issues to me and they're the things that I'm dealing with, right? Mm-hmm. It deals with my own fulfillment. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I don't think we were getting there, Krishna, but I, I see what you're saying. No, I was just offering to put that out there because it's like, you know, the West and their consumer culture and they don't, and it's like, well, I think that's where we're, I think that's where we're failing because we started moving towards the idea of the collective and like collective fulfillment and rather instead of like, you say collective, do you mean collective as culture or what do you mean? Collective as like just groups of people. Okay. Uh, So that can fall under like family uh, society, culture, whatever, you know, and rather, uh, rather than looking at individuals. So I think we need to steer, steer the conversation back to just individual fulfillment, you know, because I think that's the best way one could find fulfillment. Instead of looking at others, look into the self. That's very, that's a, and that still wouldn't really work in a, a different culture though. That wouldn't work in China because you're talking about individual and China's collectivist. 
So oh, what you're, you're well, going, yeah, so their fulfillment the wouldn't be an individual. Now. Their fulfillment is the family. Well, yeah, that's, well, that's also a bit of an absolute, but yes, predominantly that does kind of hold true. There's no such thing as an absolute, but yeah, I, I meant that more like, as a, yes, you're right. I did generalize, but. No, I, would, I wouldn't even argue that. Sure. In the culture that exists, you know, and because but, of. But yeah, I agree with you though. I agree with you because that's how I am. I'm very individualistic. Like, yeah, I am not. You don't I am, call. I, I am not my job. I'm me, and I have a yeah. job. Exactly. Um, but I think that's we should still look at it at an individualistic lens, uh, because sure, yeah, in the culture in Asia and whatever part of Asia, because I don't want to just say China or whatever. Well, that's just um, there. It exists, you know, a family structure. And we looked up, look upon it more, they look upon it more collectively, especially because they're communists. Um, so that's a huge, you know, factor in that. I mean, that's, it's I, like I, that in Japan too, though. That. You it's can't huge, really say, but it's like that in Japan too, though. And they're not communists. Sure, okay, people. yeah, sure. But they've been, they, they lived under like authoritarian, authoritarianism and empiricism, imperialism uh, for like millennia. You get me? Based off think, their government. I think, I think Krishna can, can say something about this. In regards to, yeah, collectivist culture, that's seen, you know, in a lot of, you know, Asian countries. Uh, especially. And Middle Eastern ones, too. And Middle Eastern as well, too. Um, but what, what I was actually going to say, because um, we were getting more into, like, you know, you know, the collective and then the individual, like, but it's subjective. And this is a, another interesting point to mention. So we have positive psychology, and it, it um, blossomed in the West. And I think it's interesting to examine why exactly. Because we're in a new era of where we get our fulfillment from different places than where we traditionally used to. Now, where do we expect fulfillment? We expect fulfillment in our job. We um, expect fulfillment with our relationship um, and with our kids. So you have your work life and, you know, your love life. But traditionally, you know, back in the day, or even, even within the West, like, you know, decades ago, where would you get your fulfillment? You would get it from your community and then religion. But now we're in a different era. Also your job. But in those countries over there, like we're talking about collectivist culture, we have to also acknowledge, like, why aren't they seeking so much of this individual fulfillment? Like we are, you know, they have religion. Like there's just, the, the population is far more religious than over here. So in certain aspects, yes. But I, also, I would also argue that like, you know, the political culture also plays a, a huge factor in developing like the difference in the perspective of the individual or uh, being the most important factor or mm -hmm. the collective being the most important factor, you know? Yeah. And it does play in like what times we are in. Like if it's like, if it's wartime, we're focused on the collective. It's not about you, boo-boo. Like you, like you're <laughs> focusing on <laughs> Um, the greater and that doesn't have to be so localized to culture so it does you, play in a role I don't think you like need with really, the global political climate I, well. I don't think you really need to even go so like back in the day and talk about um wartime because you can talk about now with the pandemic because it's insane. oh yeah absolutely it doesn't and i think the pandemic is it's like a war in in a sense in a sense, because, in a sense because oh, you have, actually, yeah. because you have move, different companies the... you know doing things that normally it wouldn't do like gm has to produce a bunch of ventilators now right and back but in no, the day, you're, I absolutely agree with you. But then back yeah. during the war, they were building planes. But how does that fill in with fulfillment? <laughs> I think okay, it feels so, because a lot of fulfillment comes from of being of service to others and kind of an altruistic component to your life. 
So especially when it comes to times of Define crisis. Define altruistic real quick in case someone doesn't really know what altruistic Okay, so what altruistic means is that you're doing beginning. something selflessly. You're doing uh -huh. something for others, not exactly for some okay. material or personal okay. gain. Although, yes, Ramsey, we derive yeah, I, got a, I got a huge pun. I got a help. To some extent, it's self-centered, but in, the re in reality oh, yeah. or in more general terms. Oh, I, you know what? I want to hear Ramsey. You know what? Go. Yeah. Yeah, I want to hear you. what you're going to say. Let me, let me say this. If you're doing something for others to derive uh -oh. That's not altruism. Anymore. Here we go. I know what you're going to say. Because yeah, I, yeah, for, there's yeah. no form of you know? altruism because if you do something you're, you're so good, you're no, doing wait, it. Wait, wait, wait. Let Ramsey speak. Let Ramsey speak. Let him speak. That, Just but, but, let Ramsey speak. <laughs> how, can, how can you say, you know, you're doing something for others and that being an altruistic move when you're deriving any sort of pleasure or fulfillment from that? action you get me sure you're doing something for someone else but it's for your own needs to feel fulfilled partially no it's not even partially so no, it's partially because here's the other thing at, at the very end of it whose needs are also being satisfied somebody else's sure and you're satis satisfying that. someone okay. else's needs. so, so although inherently it is self-centered it is so much less self-centered than most other behaviors that we pursue in our lives sure you're helping somebody else <laughs> But your your main focus when you're helping somebody else is getting that feeling. Oh, hold on. Good. I'm getting that pleasure because I am doing something good. Okay, Krishna, know? Krishna, hit, hit, hit so, that question. Okay, so you have that you have that right uh -huh. there that conclusion. What do you want people to do with that now? Like, let's say we agree upon that. <laughs> so what, what do we do with have? that moving forward? What we do with that? Yes. No. So it's, it's like, just you know the what? educating altruism philosophy class. Like, go ahead and say that. Okay. Look, I'm not <laughs> saying altruism is a bad thing. You know, uh, sure, be altruistic, but don't be. But take responsibility in the fact that you're not doing this for the other person. You're doing that. You're doing whatever action mm. because you're deriving that. Mm. Deriving that from so deriving there's that an example that I have that is. Oh, I can't even use that example actually because I, I no, but I'm doing it for the person. I'm not doing it for me. Um, there's an example that I have that's not safe for work. Um, so I guess okay, I well, change up the story a little bit. I don't know how this can work out, but I was seeing someone. I'm trying to keep it as safe as work for possible. I was seeing someone who wanted more than I was able to give them, but if I lied about it, I would get what I wanted. Um, did I get what I wanted? No, because I didn't lie. How did that benefit me? I did that solely because it benefits, it benefits your conscious. When you do something for someone else, you know, we think of it as a very like heroic and righteous action, but Ramsey's offering the point of, but the reason you're doing that in the first place is because you receive a positive feeling in what yeah, you and do. That, you I agree with you very much. Yes, I actually agree with that. That reward you oh, for boy. that action. Yes, I do agree with that. That's what he's acknowledging. In print. Although it's true, I don't see, Why I disagree bad. with the moral dilemma of that. I completely, like having, you know, because it doesn't having matter. that be something serious. Yeah, exactly. That, you know, but it's because we proclaimed it as selfishness to begin with. So I guess it's all I wanted to wait, say. Wait, wait, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, everyone, everyone. <laughs> wait, let her finish, let her finish. Let her finish. I want to hear so, this. You know, the point of we feel something good, we do something for others. Therefore, it's not truly as selfless as we like to think it is. It's not truly as righteous. No, that However, I, I don't think that poses 
a great moral dilemma because if you offer that argument to people and you're like, you know what, dog, it's actually not that great, you know. I'm not saying, look. But look, the conclusion you get from that immediately is like, well, I'm not saying it, look, it's so easy to transition into nihilism then after. It's like, all right. But, but I guess sidestepping that transition to nihilism, I just want to put it as a point as how functional it is, especially when trying to make a life more fulfilling. So I guess in times of crisis, when we're more dedicated towards a collective, to be dedicated towards a collective, you also have to be okay with, um, for instance, being of service to others, servicing something greater than yourself. And that, especially in collectivist societies seen in the Middle East and in, East, in Asia, for instance, that does yield a very high amount of fulfillment, which is why, sure. for instance, in times of crisis, we, we are able to unite so well to that certain point. Not because just because we we're so selfless and we're so bravely um, believing in that one purpose. No, because we also derive that positive self-fulfillment from it, okay. which was what so, I was trying to say. You know what? I have a great example. I wasn't trying to call it selfless, so to speak. I was just trying to say it has a functional purpose. I, okay, so I have a great example regarding that point that Yosef just brought up. For example, look, let's look at this, the COVID stuff, la peste, as I like to say. Um, we all, you know, as a collective, have decided we're going to quarantine ourselves. Even though we have the capability of going outside, and going to our friends' houses, or going to, to like public parks and whatnot, and getting in giant groups, even though certain areas might be closed Gatherings off of or whatnot, we as a collective realize the, the situation that we find ourselves in. And we restrict our freedom in order to, you know, better our condition. It's for no. the greater good. Yeah, but how? So greater good. That's, whatever. That's what whatever. in relation to fulfillment. But is that altruistic? All right, but that's relation to fulfillment in what way? And the idea. What I'm trying to say is, sure, somebody might feel good, you know, about self quarantining because they feel like they're doing something good for them. They're the, doing. They're doing their part. They're okay. doing their part. Okay, but is that altruistic? No, you know. And is and is I don't that, think it matters. Huh? I don't think it matters if it's altruistic or not. I think it's a good thing to do. Yeah, sure. It's a good Regardless thing. Regardless of the reason. But some, but an Even if it's self, I'm selfishly not going out because I don't want to get sick. I don't care if they get sick. So I personally don't think it, it really matters if it's altruistic or not, right? Because either way, you're still adding to the... Um, Krishna, you have like a thought there? No, you finish, finish what you were saying. Yeah, finish what I was saying. saying because I'm saying, okay, so yeah, you're telling me maybe it's not altruistic, right? Um, they're doing it because they don't want to get sick. All right, but like either way you cut it, I'm still not going outside, which means I'm still not getting someone else sick in case I have it. Even yeah. though that's not the purpose of what I'm doing it for, it's still a good thing. So it doesn't really matter. Sure, you can define it as a good thing. Maybe it doesn't I, matter. Is as it much. not a good thing? Because maybe for the self-interested person, they want to it's be. It's very circumstantial, though. Really? Like it doesn't necessarily. Okay, here's the thing: it doesn't necessarily have to be rooted in altruism for it to be a good thing. If at the very end it services a greater purpose. However, well, well, how do we define the greater purpose? What are you talking about fulfillment? What is the greater That's purpose? what I'm trying to get back to, to be honest with you. That's what I'm trying to, that's what I'm trying to rope this back into fulfillment. So the reason that we even got derailed in the first place, uh, but no, it was a good question to pose, is about like just debating like the, you know, how moral, how truly like what, you know, the morality of being altruistic, you know, how great is that? Because we kept saying altruism as this great thing, you know, Ramsey brought up, but we're just pursuing our own positive feelings isn't that selfish but when we're talking about fulfillment a lot of what we're talking about is our already internal, so we yeah. and we're I've, prioritizing that above all else and in our job we're thinking about how can i feel the best in our relationship how can i feel the best it's all about in every aspect of our life so yeah. you can look at it as selfish but i would 
um, offer this as an additional point, you know, and again, this could be subjective, but the world could use some more passionate, fulfilled people. So I'm not opposed to people pursuing their own pleasures in life. What I want to say about what I want to say about altruism, I'm not saying that we're back at altruism, bro. (laughs) Altruism ties with fulfillment. It's on topic. Look, yeah, it's it's on topic. Look, all I'm trying to say, it's not a bad thing, but we should not put it on a pedestal. What I'm saying is that we should realize what it is. We're serving ourselves. We're serving the individual. Even though we are doing what some may say subjectively, a good thing for others. Krishna, hit him with it. Hit him with it. Hit him with it. I think altruism does deserve to be on a higher ground. Why? Because, you know, if you're saying like, you can't reduce altruism to being, you know, it's just about serving myself because there's other ways I can serve myself. I can, I can indulge into like debaucherous actions if we're going to get a little, throw a big word there. I can, I can, I can be a slave to my own pleasure. I can just drink alcohol all day long. And, but that's not being of service to anybody. Nobody's benefiting that. Like, sure. Like maybe I derive like pleasure from that but that, but, but that doesn't mean you and like you're serving yourself okay. but like i can't i'm not okay with saying you know altruism you know we shouldn't put it on that pedestal because we're serving ourselves i'm like well no i would say serving yourself is like just indulging in your own pleasures and only seeking your self-interest at least within altruism yes do you benefit but both parties mutually benefit sure yeah both parties mutually benefit that's a fair point that you brought up like why can't we feel good what's wrong what's wrong with pursuing our own pleasure what's wrong with somebody else feeling at the same time what's so bad about it too what's what's wrong with me we're pursuing our own pleasure but we're also letting we're we're letting that grow and manifest within other people as well so I would say that's why I would say altruism is ethically superior to just solely seeking our self-interest and just, you know, doing whatever we want well, just so we can feel good. Look, what I was just trying to say is that we do have to realize that we are like, feeling you know, good. I like, I want to get are, back to that. We are deriving that feel good. You know, we're feeling good by acting for others, engaging in altruism. It's not just we're det- um, committing actions for another person. We're committing those actions because we derive that that feeling, that goodness or whatnot. You so know, then, that's all I wanted to say with regards to that. Because I don't disagree with you. We should be able to feel good. We should be able to engage in actions. So then and, what so then I guess to, to wrap it up, so then what can we do to feel or or be better, right? And like what does that mean, right? Okay. We've been debating for for a little bit now, discussing, debating, whatever you want to call it. But like how, what would you, what do you do, right, to feel more fulfilled? I can say I I've been personally a lot, so, Oh, that's an interesting though. question. Yes. What do you personally do to feel fulfilled, Krishna? You go to someone first, because I gotta think about I wasn't prepared okay, for this. You know what? I, I, I can I can do this. Uh-huh. Ramsey, go off, bro. So you have to write it down, Krishna? Bro, I need to go into contemplation mode, dog. Hold on. Okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna look back towards the philosophers again. Uh specifically Friedrich Nietzsche. And he, ar- he makes the ar- argument that we should strive, uh, in his book, A Spoke Zarathustra, he makes the argument that we should strive to be the ubermensch, which means uberman, better man, whatever. There's many ways you can uh, define that. He was and what that means is that we should always strive for betterment. Was he German? Huh? Was he German? 
he was German, but he hated the Germans. Oh, uh, but that, don't even get into that. that. Continue what you were yeah, saying. I'm not going to get into that. I'm not going to get into that. Not going to get into that. But basically, we should always be striving to better ourselves uh-huh. physically, culturally, intellectually, you know, engaging in those sorts of activities. So for I myself, you know, as I strive towards this idea of the Ubermensch, I do things that I think that are going to improve myself, you know, painting, exercise, reading, these sorts of actions, they stimulate the mind and like, they make me feel good. I feel like I'm improving as a person, as an individual. So I think we should strive and continue to do those sorts of actions, you know, strive for betterment. Okay. So for me, for me, fulfillment has like a kind of a heavy weight to it, but the ways I find fulfillment, right? I mean, it could be something, it, it's, it's part of the, the job that I have here is, is also plays into that. So for me, it plays into a little bit of, um, it does play into work and like the career that I've picked and stuff like that. Um, I don't have too much money, so I would like more money, but, uh, <laughs> but no fulfillment for me really is accepting what you have and you can still always try to go get more. Right. I mean, uh, I just got broken up with, right? So then fulfillment for me could be, okay, well, I got broken up with and it sucks and it hurts, but that's not where my story ends. Like I lose my job, right? I lost my, like if I lose my job or I get fired, you know, I I got fired, but okay, I got fired. So how am I going to move forward with this? So fulfillment for me is a lot of accepting the things that are happened to me that are out of my control and even the things that I've caused, right? So I love maybe, for example, I lose a job because I'm an idiot. Right. I look at what, I look at what caused me to lose my job. And then I go in there and I fix that the best that I can and best that I can is very key there because fulfillment for me doesn't mean um, reaching a goal. Fulfillment for me is it's not necessarily like, okay, I need to get from point A to point B fulfillment for me is like, I'm at point A. I want to get to point B, but I'm going to be good throughout the entire journey. And that's what fulfillment really means for me. I think, um, For me to really boil it down, um, feeling fulfilled, it's to grow and to give. And there are so many different aspects of your life in which you can engage in them. But um, the reason I came to most of my conclusions to how I want to conduct my day, like in how I want to live my life with intention is because I had to ask myself the question, like when I'm on my deathbed and whenever, in whatever time of my life, I don't know how long I'll live. Um, how, how, like, what am I going to feel? Like, how, what do I want to feel in order for me to be content with the life that I lived? And I came to the conclusion of, I want to be a being of light, joy, and love. Like if I, I just really tried to operationalize it. So in my every day, I have to think about every morning, how can I be joyful, loving, and a being of light in this world? So that's very personal for me. Um, if I can, and I, that's definitely an everyday thing. You cannot, you know, happiness comes before success. It's not when you achieve all your goals. It's like, then I'm happy. No, it's the journey on the way. Because your entire life is one big journey. It's living with intention of, of being very intentional with the people in your life, with your job, with your kids. And um, being in, intention also ties in with being present. The greatest gift you can give to anyone is your presence. And that applies in any sort of conversation. If you're having a friend and they're talking about their troubles in your life, being present with them, feeling it through them and helping guide them. I, I feel fulfillment from that. That has meaning to me, being present and very intentional of what I'm doing. I don't want to be a zombie in this world. I don't want to live through life, you know, waking up every day, just 
wondrously wandering through with no sense of purpose, no sense of direction. So that's direction I put myself into is light, joy, and love. And that's something I want to conduct every single day of my life. Hmm. That was beautifully put. That was, that was really good. I have, a, I have a few book recommendations based off what you said, but that could be for, that could be for later. All right. Um, um, I guess for me, it has to be, it's a very complex question to ask, but quite simply put, I do want to be of large service. I want to take all my abilities, each and every last merit or even weakness to my character and put it in service to something of the greater good. Because honestly, I've lived hedonistically before. It's a very unfulfilling life. It's, as Christian put it, it's a life without purpose. It's quite zombie-like. Honestly, I do also want to live life fulfilled through growth, through improvement, not the act of reaching any goal, but more of fulfillment through the fact that I'm growing and through the fact that I get to explore my passions and my own existence in this world and that I get to make the most of it in any circumstance that that exists in. And also, I guess a large part of my fulfillment comes from definitely of being loving and nurturing to others because I've known a life where love and nurturing wasn't so much present. And I've seen personally the effects of that on myself and on people that I know. And I, gra I derive great fulfillment and great happiness from nurturing, um, loving, and um, of being service to others in e each and every single possible way that I can. Not in a sense that makes me a people pleaser, but in the sense that I would like to also have my relationships with them be of intention and of service and to have great meaning, not simply just to have them around for a few good laps, but no, to establish a really in-depth and meaningful conversation and to be of some positivity to this world and to the people's lives that I live in, I guess. Okay. Cool. Deep. All right. Well, on that note, um, definitely going to end this very, very long um, episode. Thank you for listening to PeerCast. This podcast is brought to you by Florida International University's Counseling and Psychological Services Department, as well as the Victim Empowerment Program. This episode was originally published on May 15th. These episodes are recorded via Zoom, and the video version is on our Instagram page. Please follow us at FIU underscore VEP. You can also check out our online self-help resources for more information at caps.fiu.edu. so hot inside my room oh yeah. <laughs> because I have to, the thing is i have to turn off the ac because all you hear is <laughs>